You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. John is going to uh, read the text for us this morning in his <laughs> uh, raspy, sultry voice. Reading Acts chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll go to Acts chapter 1. If you have your version app, if you'll go to Acts chapter 1. It is Pentecost Sunday. Acts 1 or Acts 2. Oh, sorry, Acts chapter 2. Thank yeah, you, Acts chapter 2. Yeah, Acts chapter 2. Yeah. I, was, I was all flustered there. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, it's Pentecost Sunday. So, uh, so let's, let's, let's think about the Holy Spirit of God this morning. So John, Acts chapter 2, church, if you'll just, uh, like I say, if you want to read along, please feel free. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Bygea and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of, Libya, of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent, magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heavens, above the signs on the earth below, fire, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says to him, I saw the Lord ever before me, 
Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it, is not, it was not David who ascended unto the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God was made that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles brothers what should we do? Peter replied repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, as many of the Lord our God will call. With many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from the corrupt generation. Word of the Lord. Thanks, John, for reading that. So, of the many sins we see, in this moment, one of the sins I think we see is a failure to imagine that things can be better than they are. It's a failure to imagine that things can be better than they are in our communities, in our world, in our politics, in our care for one another, in our city streets, in our marriages, in our churches, in our schools in our corporations, for our earth, on our farms, in our factories, and in our hearts. The Holy Spirit of God who creates light and darkness and brings beauty from chaos in the creation story. And the one who resurrected Christ from the dead is the one who longs to stir up the Christian imagination. The Holy Spirit is longing to teach us to trust that all things can be made new and all things can be made well. But when we suppress the possibilities of newness, the stirring up of our imagination that things can be better than they are, we deny the Pentecostal hope that is ours by the costly sacrificial love God demonstrates with Christ and His cross. I realize that right now there may be a temptation to look on the phones and catch up on the news and maybe even text and tweet.
tweet or whatever, what's going on, but please stay with me on this just for, for 20 minutes. Because all of that information gathering and anxiety that comes, it, it needs to be placed in submission to something. See, the older I get, the more I understand that nothing will change until we embrace the gift of a holy imagination. Acting upon the seeds of trust King Jesus plants in our hearts and in our minds. And I'm not talking about the myth of progress. I'm not talking about the, the ability of the human spirit or collective human activism. I'm, I'm talking about a sure and certain hope we have received that Christ has reversed death and liberated us from all death-dealing things. I'm not, I'm not talking about how the Holy Spirit of God is working in us to, to, uh, to simply bring healing and deliverance and, and liberation and justice and forgiveness and peace. I'm talking, I'm talking about something more than that too. I'm talking about how the Holy Spirit of God is working in us to bring newness to life where healing and deliverance and liberation and justice and forgiveness and peace where it happens to us and to every square foot of this world. And see, what I'm recognizing is that we don't do well with the interruptions that the Holy Spirit wants to bring. I mean, even right now, some of us, I mean, I'm even having a hard time keeping my mind here with you. Like right now, some of us are having a hard time letting the Holy Spirit of God interrupt our moment to just be with us and to, to lead us into the wondrous presence of God and maybe even disrupt our plans and set agenda disrupt even maybe our beliefs, to get our attention. And when you read Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost, that's what happens. Pentecost becomes a day of interruption and disruption, where the lives of God's people that had grown well adjusted to injustice and well adapted to indifference, was disrupted and interrupted by the Spirit who took all of these distinct languages and, and peoples and didn't erase them. Here we now, in Acts chapter 2, it didn't say all of a sudden the Egyptians were no longer Egyptians and, and the Cretans were no longer Cretans. They still maintained their skin colors and their ethnicities and their stories of national origin. But he took all of that, what, which was in that society a primary identity marker, and he placed that secondary to the identity marker of the Holy Spirit of God who was making them one. He wasn't calling the church to colorblindness where we say, oh, I don't see color. Yeah, you do. You would hear a Christian. That's the whole point. They're hearing these folks speak in their own tongues, but they're trans somehow the Spirit of God is translating it in a tongue that they understand. It doesn't say that the Christians and the Egyptians and the Phagerians and the Phileans, that all of a sudden they, they learned a new language. The hearers kept their language. They just heard it translated by the Spirit of God. Saying that we are now, God is at work doing something new. God is doing something new. He's interrupting your festival. He's saying. He's interrupting your dividing lines. He's saying. He's interrupting your agendas. He may even be interrupting your beliefs. And he's disrupting it all. Because in order to bring about something new, 
the old has to be disrupted. And it has to be dismantled. Brother and sister, are you letting the Holy Spirit dismantle your life? Are we willing to let him disrupt us? I mean, we want healing, we want prayer, we want the presence of God, but we, do we find that we want it all on our same terms, that we don't really want to change anything, we want God to kind of fit into our preferences? I mean, think about it now. I've been thinking about that all week with Pentecost coming. What is it about Fred Ligon's life that I am not willing to let go? That the Holy Spirit could disrupt everything. Nervous, uncomfortable, unfamiliar, yeah. But what am I living my life with so double-fisted? Double-fisted on the things that I believe, the, the beliefs, the plans, the agendas, that they're just holding on tightly, that, that, that the divine interruptions aren't welcomed, except maybe on Sundays. But living a double-fisted life where I've double-fisted my own plans and agendas and ideologies and beliefs and have no hands left. Like I'm double-fisted, I have no hands left to open to the Spirit of God. Both hands are holding tightly to what I want. And I have no hands left to hold on to the way of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes and blows through my life like a wind, like the breath of God wanting to give life to my lungs. And Pentecost Sunday is a reminder in the church calendar that the Holy Spirit of God longs to disrupt and interrupt because that is where newness comes from. That is where new wine is poured into new wineskins. That is where new life flows into the lives of marriages and, and into finances and into, into the way the house works, the home works, the family system works, into my, into my loneliness, into my sickness, into the injustice. Maybe some of us just buckling down on our beliefs and our plans and our agendas. The Holy Spirit is going to rush in and do what the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit requires attention. So when you read this story, all of the different people from all the different places of the world at that time, in their world at that time, they had to acknowledge that something strange was going on. That's why they accused Peter and all of them at drinking. So early in the morning. Because they couldn't explain it. I bet that would have been a conspiracy theory. Can you imagine if social media would have existed back then? It would have been like a Facebook post. Hey, yo, like, like the, the apostles are drunk. Somebody would have come back and said, well, maybe it's the Holy Spirit. Because I think I heard him say that. And somebody would have been like, well, I don't know, though. We'd have found ways, right? It seems like to, to deny what the promises of Scripture was saying. Peter stands up and says, what you see is what you've been reading about all your life. The question is, will you see it? Do you have the imagination to believe that it's possible? See, what you see and what I see is that this Sunday, 2,000 years or so ago, worshipers of God gathered on Pentecost and experienced an outpouring of God's presence unlike anything they'd ever seen before. This outpouring of God's spirit and proclamation of gospel interrupted their agendas, plans, and beliefs for every person present, resulting in both forever changed lives and a new kind of community, a new kind of society, 
empowered by this interruptive spirit to live a new way of life, joined with God in His restorative work, this new kind of community now has the power to actually transform the world if we only believed that. What the disciples experienced then we can experience today because the same Spirit at work in and through them is at work in and through us. Do we believe it? I have found that sometimes the Holy Spirit most profoundly interrupts and disrupts my life when I just listen. When I listen to a young woman cry out in pain and lament. When I listen to a man in his anger and his frustration, and I don't seek to qualify or rationalize or even correct or justify, just listen. And the Holy Spirit messes with my own beliefs in that moment. Something new happens where I'm not allowed just to see that young girl by herself, or I'm not allowed to hear that man not want to join him or join her. Some sense of human solidarity of just being with them. And the hope that maybe the presence of God will break through with the Spirit of God at work between us. See, I can't do that if I am, uh, I'm busy. Can't do that if I have other things to do. Can't do that if I want to just be heard rather than listen. See, 2,000 years ago, everything changed. The Spirit of God was poured out on all people who would confess that Jesus is Lord. And so perhaps the primary question for us on Pentecost Sunday is will we be open to the Spirit's divine interruption as God's individual children and then together as a church? So you have your version. This is where it's going to be helpful because I have lots of notes for you. Well, not lots of notes, but I have notes. So I'm not going to read all the text over again because John's read it. So I want to offer, um, I want to do something I don't always do. I'm going to offer four uh, realities of the interrupting Spirit of God. So if you're the note-taking type, feel free to, to take it. Number, number one, if you look at Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 13, and you read that, you find that the interrupting Spirit disrupts our familiarity and comfort. The Spirit here involved many tongues, cultures, voices, and perspectives. And here's the thing. If we are going to respond as Christians appropriately to the Holy Spirit's divine interruptions, we must be willing to listen to all tongues, cultures, voices, and perspectives. Come on now. We must be willing. And the fact is, disorientation can happen when the Spirit interrupts. So don't be surprised when you're taken off guard. When I'm taken off guard by the Spirit's divine interruption, dissonance and tension happens. You see it in verse 13. You see it in verse 13, the dissonance and the tension that's happening, where they're just confused, and they're even sneering. Look at verse 13. They're sneering. They're making fun of Peter and those guys. And there's this disruption that leads to this tension and this dissonance. Because they're just uncomfortable and it's not familiar. But here's the thing. God isn't after our comfort. He is after our good. 
And this means that He must discomfort us from time to time. Peace comes from trusting God, not from an absence of disorientation, dissonance, and incoherence. Too many of us want a happy-go-lucky situation where we want to deny all the negativity in the world and dig our hands and dig our heads in the sand. And that's not what it means to be a Spirit-empowered person of God. The Christ who came and entered into the world and went to a cross and suffered and took on all the violence is asking us to follow Him to do the same, and we can't do that if we're holding on to some sense of fake optimism, thinking that somehow, well, I just want everything to be okay with me and my family. Well, it may be okay with you and your family, but it's not okay with them and their family. And therefore, then it's not okay with you if they're a part of your Christian family, because we are connected. That is the teachings of the Scripture as best as I can see it. And the Holy Spirit of God is wanting to disrupt that and say, when it is John's problem, it is Fred's problem. But when it's John's burden, it becomes Fred's burden. And Fred may have to bear some of that burden. And it may make Fred uncomfortable, but Fred, son, you have to bear some of that burden with your brother. Because that is what it means to be brothers. That is why Randy wrote a letter to you, to me. The Holy Spirit of God disrupts our familiarity and comfort. Will we let Him? Because the Spirit of God is no respecter of schedules, agendas, comfort levels, or preferences. The Spirit of God will fit inside our hearts, but not inside our religious polity, our social politics. God will be God. And if we are willing to let God be God, our lives change. Number two, the interrupting spirit disrupts our organized world that preserves our stability, our institutions, social classes, and categories of control. Now, I want you to look real quick at uh, chapter 2, verse 16 through 18, and then verse 21. This is where I'm getting at, okay? It's important to see it. Verse, 17, uh, verse uh, 18, I will even pour out my spirit on my male and female slaves in those days, and they will prophesy, male and female slaves. Verse 17, look at that, verse 17. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. My sisters, my sisters get equity in the kingdom of God. And young men will see visions. And even the underbelly of society, the underclass of society, the ones that people think are the least last left out and lonely, the ones pressed down by the systems, the male and female slaves in those days, they will prophesy the Holy Spirit of God is disrupting society's stability. And you can tell right now that we don't like that. We don't like that. This Holy Spirit of God destabilizes our world and perhaps the Spirit does so in order to re-stabilize it with God's kingdom. Maybe that's the deal. God's rule expressed in how we live in our world to love one another and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves and to love our enemies. Spirit will destabilize our world in order to re-stabilize it with God's ethics like loving enemies. Considering others as more important than yourselves, that's in the Bible. Submit to one another, that's in the Bible. All these ethics are contrary to the way of our world. Man, man, this is where I wish we were all in a room together so we could look at each other. 
We hear in that. Look at the text. That's what it does. It's what the text is saying it's doing. Not yet as in the Spirit. The text is doing that to us so that the Spirit can destabilize and restabilize us with kingdom ethics. Will we let the Spirit do God's work? Number three. Verses 22-36, the interrupting spirit sends us as witnesses whose testimony is sometimes disruptive. Here's the thing. Truth of it is, sometimes the spirit has something to say that we don't want to hear. And sometimes the spirit sends us to say things we don't want to say because people don't want to hear it. Isn't that right, John? And we get into arguments. And that's where I'm just like, man, you're like, I'm, I'm beyond arguments at this point. If it is in line with the ethics and the kingdom of God, then it is right. And it is not the church's problem that what society holds as right goes crossways with the kingdom of God. It is the church's responsibility to live into that politic faithfully and trust God with the consequences. You and I both know we're not going to convince anybody of anything. But I'm not sure that's our job. Our job is to be a witness of what we've seen. That's 32 to 36, to be a witness. But to be a witness to something means you have had to participate in it. Are y'all with me on that? Come on, I need to talk to Tammy and Cherry. Because i got to have some people. Are we, are we, are we there? Like to witness, to witness, we have to have participated in something in order to bear witness to it. We have to have seen it with our own eyes, which means we have had to put ourselves in a position to let it be done. We had to be present, yeah. And then we have to trust the fact that sometimes we're going to say things that are just going to be disruptive, and it may put us on the, on the wrong end of the argument. The fact of the matter is, I think we're better off if we're not trying to win an argument. We're just trying to tell the truth and doing so in love the best we can and trust God with the consequences. I don't always do that well, which is why I need the Spirit. Jesus showed us what it means to live a Spirit-empowered life. And the Spirit of God comes from the right hand of God and God's authority in and through Jesus to live within God's people and to make God's people a sanctuary of God, sending us out into Spirit-led participation of God's goodness and love and justice and reign in the world. Christian, if you just want to constantly hear feel-good devotionals from Scripture, you are missing what the Spirit can do. You're missing what the Spirit can do. Let's not miss what the Spirit can do. The Spirit is our living witness to the living Christ, seeking to disrupt and interrupt whatever needs to be disrupted and interrupted in order to get our attention so that our lives can be restabilized by the kingdom of God and so that society can see the reign of Christ at work in the world. That is why we pursue Harry, right? That's why we pray that even though Harry had a hard time and it didn't go that well as you got in my email, that's why now my job with Harry, for example, is not going to be to try to press something on him. I can't do that. That would miss the point. God's Spirit may be wanting to just disrupt me and destabilize me so that the Spirit of God can restabilize me with the kingdom of God just to be present with Harry. I can't fix Harry. Harry's not a problem to solve or a project to fix or a prospect to save. Harry's a person to be embraced just as Harry is. I just need to be present with that. Now, covet, covet your prayers for God to make a way. So let us pray that God makes a way. In the meantime, let's just be present. All right, number four, last thing. 
I think I've done more in 20 minutes. Verse 36 through 40 of chapter 2, the interrupting spirit issues a call. Here's the thing. Maybe the Spirit of God knows. In order for us to receive the Spirit, we just we have to repent. There is a call for repentance to every heart. There is a call for the baptism of everyone who repents. Verse 38, look at it. There's a call to all, for all to receive forgiveness and empowered new life. There is a call for the transformation of every life. Read verse 39 and 40. There's a call for surrender to every life, of every life to the kingship of Jesus as Lord. There is a call for all to bring their surrendered lives together and form a new kind of family, a new kind of community. That's the call. Holy Spirit of God wants to reorganize our lives. And in order to reorganize our lives, there has to be a disruption. And before there to be a disruption, there has to be an interruption. And before any of that can happen, there has to be a willingness of you and me to be attentive and receive the interruptive disruption of the Holy Spirit of God so that He can bless us and keep us and make His face shine upon us and give us rest. May the Spirit of God move. Let's pray. Oh God, have mercy on us. Help us to see you rightly. Give us holy imagination so that we can see those places in the world that you have hidden yourself in glory. Glorious Father, interrupt our lives by and through your Spirit. Create in each of us a clean heart and create through us a new community who offers an alternative way of life to the world, even if it is in contrary to the way of life in the world. Forgive us to our well-adjustment to injustice, our well-adapted lives to indifference. Deliver us. We might bear witness to a life of love, grace, peace, justice, mercy, and hospitality, a life fitting of your kingdom. Father, we thank you that by it is by your grace and grace alone are we saved, are we even able to have hope. We thank you that it is by your grace alone that we live. We pray by that same grace, you, through your spirit, would transform our lives, this church, our neighborhoods, our city, all cities all counties, this country, all countries, our world. In the name of the one who lived, died, was risen, and now reigns as Lord, Savior, and King over all God's people, we say, amen. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.